Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 633. Now, Kyle... I talk a lot about stuff that I'm promoting, like the Fun Comfortable Tour with dates coming up in Chicago and St. Louis and Boston and New York and Philly and lots of other cities. Go to FunComfortableTour.com. But let's not make this about me, Kyle. We put out the word that if you uh, email your event to events at Nerdist.com, then we'll just start using this as a platform to promote stuff that people want to talk about. What do you got on the events page, well, Kyle? Well, I've been tearing through and I picked three for today that I think are pretty cool. Uh, Kyle, Kyle Crocker was a former skipper on a little boat I like to call the Jungle Cruise. Did you, first of all, amazing. Second of all, did you just pick him because his first name's Kyle and his last name ends with a C? Oh, uh, it's because I'm obsessed with Disney. Okay, all right. Those and he has a whole podcast called The Jungle Cruise, C-R-E-W-S, oh. where he's talking to old Disney and Jungle Cruise employees and different people who've worked in different parts of the park about what it's like to be an employee at Disneyland and Disney World. Excellent. I am super into Disney lore and like he's had people who like worked there from like the 60s all the way through to now. So it's right. an evolution firsthand. Great. Through. What else you got? I got Pontius Rundquist. I think I'm saying that right. From Sweden. He just completed his first feature film. He started working on it when he was 16. You he's don't say. 21 it. now. What is that? And it took him all these years and his film is called uh, uh, A Real Blues uh, A Modern Blues Story. All right. Sort of a David Lynch Twin Peaks thing And where can people Sweden. see it? Uh, it is on his website, which is a modernbluesstory.com. All right. What else? You said there were three. That yeah, was and two. I got my last one is uh, Daniel Imke uh, runs a new show called The Stand Up Hour in Hotlanta. Uh, and the show. You know, people from Atlanta hate it when uh, outside that my call girlfriend is from Georgia and gets very upset constantly when I refer to it, <laughs> which is why I exclusively call it that now. Okay. You know, Hotlanta, where How Stuff Works is from. <laughs> uh, but on uh, the shows, the first one's on February 4th. It's located at the Midtown Tavern and starts at 8 30, and it's a new monthly hour long showcase for all the local acts going to Atlanta. And hey, guy who I've just promoted, I'm coming there in May, so maybe you uh, and I should talk. Oh, so you want to get stage time? Maybe. What if he's like, hey, thanks for the promo. Send me a tape. Like he's got to well, check out. Well, then uh, <laughs> I'll just start disparaging his name. <laughs> what? I, don't get I will unpromote. Oh, my God. Kyle, I've never seen this side of you before. That's <laughs> what happens when you come between me and a gig, bro. That's Kyle Clark with the, <laughs> with the Clark pages. <laughs> oh, God. We're not going to call it the Clark pages. But that's going on in the Nerdist community uh, around the country and around the world right There's now. There's some cool so stuff going down. Check those out, and we'll keep doing this. Events at Nerdist.com with your event. This episode is Pauly Shore, which I worked at, the, I worked at uh, MTV at the same time as Pauly. So I was there, for the, I was there at the tail end of, the, of that phenomenon. And, uh, you guys sound like mob dons when you talk, like just back and forth. It, it is. It's definitely got a mob feel. 
But uh, but I always really wanted to have a lengthy conversation with him because a we were at MTV at the same time, and there's just not a lot of us in the world who had that kind of weird experience, weird fun experience. Uh, but his was way crazier than mine was, uh, being the I guess what I'm just going to call the sidekick on Singled Out. Uh, but Paulie also his growing up at the Comedy Store in that period of time. Jesus Christ is. I mean, this whole time, I just, I secretly brought him on just to mine him for old comedy <laughs> store stories. I'm like, tell me more. You could tell the deeper he got into telling comedy store stories because all of us just kept leaning closer leaning and closer. closer. But, uh, but he continues to be a super sweet guy, and uh, he was very nice to me, and, and I, uh, I'm very. I, I, I always, comedy store is one of those places where I always go, like, I gotta go perform there more. So I'm gonna, I wanna start performing at the comedy store more, I think. It's a good. It, the comedy store is like way, way, way come back. Like it's a, yeah, it sure has. It's, it's a hot room now. That roast and battle, man. He's uh, Polly has a show on Showtime, a documentary called Polly Stands Alone. And he also started a podcast called Polly Shore is Interested, which uh, which I, I guess I'll probably do. He asked me to do it, and I guess Marin's been on, and yeah. a bunch of other people have been on. So uh, well, I'll do it. And um, that's it. So it's Nurse Podcast number six thirty three. Uh, here we go. Start, Katie. Start the thing. Now entering. Nerdist.com <laughs> well, uh, please talk to us for an hour now. Yeah. <laughs> so we were talking about our siblings before you got here. Yeah, we were just talking about not yeah. getting along with your do you siblings. Have, do you have a siblings? I have a half brother, and he's and you great. Half, halfly get. Oh, you get along with them. We get along. Yes, yeah. we share. We share a father, and we get along. But we didn't really grow up together. Right. We uh, we we got close later on in life, and so by that point, we had Maybe sort of worked helped. out. Maybe that helped. Yeah, we didn't have to grow. We didn't have like the. Growing pains of kind of crashing yeah. into one another as we were developing our personalities. I was I was driving over here and I was trying to think of the last time I bumped into you. I don't know. What was it, it was. three arts? Right. If it was, then that would have been probably at least fourteen years ago. Jesus Christ! Oh Holy shit! <laughs> so how many siblings? Do you well, have? first of all, I want to say congratulations to him. I haven't. You know, I mean, th- we come from time. the same. Yeah, we come from the same mesh. You we know do. what I mean? And, and you know, I think. And, and we. So when did you start at MTV? Ninety four. Ninety four. And so you were you were still there, but mm-hmm. it was you were close. You was about the time where you were about to leave. Yeah, I was there from like ninety to ninety five. Right. Yeah. Um, what did you host? I know. You, oh, you hosted. Was that with Jenny? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I just saw her in. Um, I did see. What did I do? I did her show in. in um, oh, she doing a serious? Yeah, serious she does XM a serious yeah. thing in. Uh, in New York, it was pretty cool. Oh, that's great! Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Everyone, I always found everyone to be very nice. And then the the couple of times that I saw you at events, you were very, very sweet to me. And uh, and and I always felt like I always felt like a weird outsider there. Maybe mm. everyone felt this way, but I just felt like I didn't really. I felt like I was sort of I was trying to force myself into the MTV mm. vibe, and it mm. was very much not my. It wasn't really mm. my. I didn't. I felt very uncomfortable the whole time. But, I was there. Yeah. Did you? Did you? Um, how long? Did, but how long did you do singled out for? Um, almost four. Almost four years. Like three and a half years. Yeah. Oh, that was a hit show, though. 
Yeah, yeah. it was on. And was it, but was it just you or just Jenny, or was it, it was both of you guys? We were both on, yeah, and then Jenny left, guys, and then yeah. Carmen Electra took over for like right. a, a year. But you had a big run on MTV. We did, yeah. We no, but you really did. Didn't you do like a lot of different things? I did, but uh, you know, I didn't really, I didn't pop on MTV really because you know, I, I think just, I don't know. I mean, really, it was like I was just kind of like a mm, like trying to force yourself, trying to force in. myself right. into this what I thought was supposed to be like, oh, I have to be cool. Right. And I was really just a nerdy kid that was trying to express That's why you're on the Nerdist now. That's See, why it now all makes it all worked out. Whoa, bro. But at the time, I, <laughs> but at the time, at the time, I couldn't figure out, like, I just didn't know myself well enough, so I didn't yeah. know what my voice was. Yeah. And I hadn't and it's, been doing it is like, yeah, enough. it is a, it is a, uh, MTV is a very, um, it's a full on, it's like the mafia. Especially back then, it was like to try to get in on it. Yeah, you know, just to try to get in on. I mean, I I had that same problem when I first started. Really? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I had know. a fucking. I can swear. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. No, I had a I had a really really difficult time when I first started on, on MTV. It was uh, it was you know I was nervous. It was live. It was spring break. You know, Corey Feldman was the man. Uh-huh. Me and Christian Slater, Christian Slater were trying to get laid, and no one. In they all, all the girls like Corey Feldman. It was the best. <laughs> I remember sitting with Christian Slater in my hotel room at the Marriott, and we're going, "This fucking is terrible." Look at How come everybody's sucker. having sex with Corey Feldman? <laughs> it's, my, it's my best. So, um, but you know, and and then I did my, I did it like a, it was like a comic thing, a stand up thing, you know, mm-hmm. and it did really bad. And then I was doing. Um, I was doing what was t- the stand-up thing? It was like in a bar or something. It was like a hosting. A, like you remember? Oh, remember when they used to do the young comedians or Mario Joyner was hosting it? Yeah, he did half-hour comedy half hour, hour, right? Yeah, so it was like that, but mm-hmm. it was like at spring break. Oh and wow! I just, it just was. I wasn't ready. Just like you said, you weren't ready. Yeah. Like I didn't feel like I was ready, and then I went back, and finally, eventually, you know, did what I did over there. But. Yeah, because I saw everyone. I saw ev- everyone. I thought had a very well-defined voice character mm. of all the the sort of pantheon of vjs even going back pretty far like i always loved kevin seal because he was always yeah, such he a was, yeah he was such he was an awesome. oddball yeah, yeah and so he was like he was the guy that i gravitated to the most but when i started working there it was you and kennedy and bill bellamy mm, yeah. and um you know uh hey uh, does does your audience i mean i know your audience right now do, uh, do they know you from that time or do you even talk do. about some it? people do yeah i don't i don't nope. care talk about it, but some nope. people do yeah there's people in a certain age range yeah. do um but and then you know years later i would go to work at g4 which doesn't exist anymore and people oh, were like right. i watched I you know. back in the day at g4 i'm oh, like yeah, i don't yeah. think you know what back in the day right, is yeah, 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 yeah. but uh but i never felt like i always felt everyone had their own voice and you know yours was certainly one of the strongest and i, I never felt i just felt like oh, i'm mm-hmm. just a guy i don't know what but, i have to but offer but this thing that you have now i mean every time i mention people that i'm coming to see you or or I, people are really have really you know this is huge for you oh yeah it's this been it's great. been fun it's been yeah. fun and i talked to your producer Sir, tell Katie, me your name again, Katie, Katie Levine. Again. And she was telling me that um, that you know you were one of the first ones to kind of break on, and you were your consistency four or five years doing this. Yeah, this that's is our pretty fifth, cool. This is our fifth year. This that's is our sick. Fifth year. But that's yeah. fucking that's sick, man. That, but it, but it, it was just sort that, of an interesting you know lesson I mean? of trying to fit 
into other people's thing mm. and then going, eh, I'm just going to do my own thing that I'm comfortable with. And, right. But it took but, a long time to figure that out. Right. Well, that's what the internet and this whole world has been able to do, is, yeah. right? And for me, I'm kind of like 10 steps back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit, I got to tweet. You know what I mean? I got to do all this stuff. And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. So now I'm kind of doing it. And I'm kind of like... I don't want to say I'm late in the game, you know, hopping on this whole, you know, this whole world. I've been doing a podcast for about, I don't know, four months now. It's been going good. And then we're moving over to Podcast One. Okay, cool. Which Norm says, what's up? Yeah, tell Norm, Norm I said yeah, hello. Yeah, for sure. And um, so it's, you know, it's, it's similar to, you know, it's similar to the old shit we used to do back in the day, you know, interviewing people, talking to people. You know, getting into people. So I, I kind of did that already back when I was on MTV. There so. are so many things that I want to ask you about. I mean, first of all, your lineage is such a is such a treasure trove mm. for a comedy nerd. Like I am, let's going back even farther before before MTV. Did you literally grow up in the comedy store? Yeah, like you, I mean, I talk about it when I go on stage because like I still perform there. You know, I go yeah. on stage there. And, you know, I come out and the first thing I say, not always, but most of the time, the first thing I say is like, I've been here since I was four. Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, I know Louis C.K., he filmed his, uh, he filmed his last special there probably about a week or two ago. And I was backstage with him and he was telling me like, we were, sta- we were in the backstage and we were staring at the, uh, the, the, uh, we were staring at the, um, the stage, you know, from kind of the comics point of view. And he told me that, you know, that Chris Rock had taken him to go see George Carlin in this room. And, and, and Louis C.K. is like, yo, I got to do a fucking special here. And hmm. he did the special here. And then I was telling him, like, you got to understand, like, I've been there since I was four. So I remember, like, Buddy Rich. Oh, uh, wow. Buddy Rich. My mom used to have him. My mom was fucking awesome, dude. I mean, she's still alive. She's not well. But at back at the time, she was fucking just amazing i mean the comedy store was like it's still i mean it's still doing really well you know the comedy boom is like it's out there like the other night it was like me snyder robert snyder you know uh, i think crystalia like sebastian like boom 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 and the moon the room in the main room was electrifying and it was a really great great show but it just definitely wasn't like it was back when i was younger like when robin williams was there and eddie murphy was there and dice was there and richard Pryor, richard Pryor was there and, and all those guys were there so it's just different. It's just the same thing with music, I think, you know? Like the Rolling Stones and But there was a specific time period. I mean, like that that club came on at the perfect time for yeah. that comedy boom that started in the 70s and then like yeah. went into the went into the 80s. So it was like yeah. Well, it, you had Red Fox. Red Fox was really funny, dude. Like really funny stand up. He was so I re- funny. Of course I remember Red Fox. He, yeah, but his stand up was so funny. And filthy, like yeah, which was pretty really filthy. Dirty. Yeah. So, uh, did you just, you hung out at the club when you were four? You were just mm-hmm. running around the club. Well, my parents divorced when I was three. My mom got the comedy store where they started in '72. So my dad was out on the road. He was like touring with Elvis Presley. You know, my dad would, would my dad opened for like the biggest biggest acts ever, like Sammy Davis and and uh, who else? I don't know. Sid Caesar and Milton Berle. You know, they used to go to the Friars Club in Beverly Hills. Wow. That's where they used to hang out. So my mom was at the comedy store, and she her she was starting her second life, which was divorced with the comedy store at forty years old. Oh, wow. so that's when my mom really started. And we, I have four four brothers or four four siblings all together. So they, my mom had that shit before she was forty. I was the last one. So the second part of her life was when she was forty, and she was all about like the store. 
You know what I mean? Like developing acts. Like, you know, she told Roseanne to wear suspenders. You know what I mean? <laughs> Shit like that. You got to put the suspenders on. Listen, if we you know, know Roseanne I mean? for anything, it's the suspenders it that is, she wears. It's true, yeah. And Gallagher used to fucking sneak into my house and fuck my mom's assistant and shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? But it's all so that weird. shit, like, you know what I mean? Like, um, <laughs> just you look in the room, it's just watermelon. And it's funny because all over the. <laughs> was Gallagher here? Because there's fucking melon rinds. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, and Robin, when Robin died, it really affected me because he was like a really close friend to the family and a close to the comedy store. And it was like, you know, as a kid, I remember him, you know, my mom nurturing him and, and bringing him up and stuff like that, you know, before Mark and Mindy and all that. You so, Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, would, I would guess that you've probably lost a ton of people yeah. that are, I mean, yeah, Kinnison. Yeah, 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 Sam. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, it's fucked up, man, because like, you know, you're all of a sudden you're in that world and all of a sudden now we're older and now we're looking back on that world. And it's like, whoa, you know, it's why, crazy. Why do you? Well, especially in the seventies and eighties too. Like that was a, the, the, also the dr- the drug culture was so yeah. insane, and yeah. it was so it, t- closely yeah, tied and to it's, comedy. And it's it's what's what's fucked up to me just about our business now is you can't can't do anything. You know what I mean? Because you're all we're always being watched now. <laughs> it's not cool, dude. Like you can't. You know what I mean? Like for, <laughs> for real, dude. Like if I feel like everywhere I go, like I can't really be. I don't want to say a scumbag, right? You know, you can't. Fuck around. You got to be mind your p's and q's on everything. I want to know. I want to know. Like, just any. First of all, everyone says the comedy store is because it was Ciro's, right? And everyone's like, it's really creepy late at night, and there's. I never saw any ghosts. Bullshit! You saw ghosts. Matt wants to believe that that there are ghosts. (laughs) I never saw. Yeah, I never. You know when I first. Uh -uh. So I, I went to UCLA. And I did comedy a little bit when I was at, I was in a club at UCLA where we did helped each other write and we did stand up a few times mm. a year. But the first time, where are you from originally? Uh, well, I'm from. I was born in Kentucky. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Wow, where you? Where you? I was just in uh, Lexington. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Different comedy off Broadway. I haven't been there. I was. I'm from Louisville, but I mean, I was born in Louisville. But uh, why don't you talk like this, man? Well, I don't. What's know. What's going on, dude? I shit, think I man. shit it somewhere along Come the on. way. Oh goddamn. Okay, sorry. But when I started doing stand up again <laughs> full time in '98. The belly room was the first place oh, that I performed. Wow, okay. So it was a you know it was a bringer was show. Was staff there? No, it was just a bringer show. It was um, what was her name? It was a woman named Bobby Shropshire, mm, and she know. ran this weekly bringer show. And that was the first place that I went up when I decided like, okay, I'm going to do this full time now. And uh, but I, I have to say, the, the for a long time the vibe of the store really scared me because it. And it shouldn't it have. remind you of MTV, right? Dr- trying to get in, bro. It's like, you know. No. Well, it, well, sort of in a weird way. It's just that uh, there was a very specific vibe there for a long time. And I think it was, it was born out of this, almost like this evolutionary thing of uh, having to battle with weird late night shows. Mm. And just like some of the weird people that would come in and be in the audience. Mm. And you'd be in a room of like nine or ten people. And it yeah. was a real... and. You know, a lot of people really developed um, amazing skill sets, like based on that. Yeah, yeah if you yeah. could, like, if you could, if you could survive at this, if you could survive at mm-hmm. the store for a while, like, you could really, you could, like, you were relatively bulletproof, right? At that point, yeah. No, it's still that way. I mean, it still has that, you know, where there's the comics are in the audience, and 
You know, like on the Monday, I think Monday nights is open mic night. Is that the 40 comics and like... Yeah. 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 It's got that, it's got that vibe. But now, I mean, you're, you're obviously very welcome to come if you want to do a set anytime. Oh, I'd love to. I mean, to. it's always, it's always open to you. Oh, whenever. I appreciate that. You know, you would, you know, it, people would really like to see you up there and it's a great lineup tonight. Mark Marin, Dalia, Rogan. It's like, are tonight. they in the main room or in the OR? OR. Nice. Yeah. They just go up. Everyone wants to go on stage. You know what I mean? David Spade's coming in now a lot, so it's like Chris Rock was there like two nights ago. There's not a ton of yeah. places to. There's not a ton of reliable places to do stand up in Los Angeles. It's not a great. Mm. It's not the a great stand up town. To me, seems weird. Like that energy, like that corner. It's always like packed and. Well, the light. You know, the lights are usually on. Yeah. Like the lights in the audience are. Up. Oh really? I and don't so like it's, that. It yeah. can be a little like you're yeah. in a conference room, and yeah. it's a little. And I always I like it dark in the audience. It should be dark yeah. in the audience, and I always found. You know, the last couple times I went to the Laugh Factory, I got bumped by an hour and a half because of Dane, mm. and then by, I went up at like one fifteen. Dane Cook Factory. Yeah, I went up. I went up at like one fifteen in the morning, and there were like ten people left, and I was like, I don't need. I don't need to do this. Yeah. I like to play a fun game when I'm driving up uh, Sunset, <laughs> which is to guess who's on the marquee before I get there. Oh wow! And it's I always go like uh, Dane Cook, Tony Rock. Right, uh, exactly. It's gonna be uh, Dom Irera. Dom, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Tom. It's gonna be. Uh, Mm, Tim Allen's Wednesday show, and Could then I grab on my I nail it almost every time. I yeah. can do it with the store. So do you, do you do you work out in L.A.? I do usually at um, at our. You know, we have a little. Oh, yeah, we have a tiny thing. little room at the back of a comic book store. But I, I would, I would. You I, should come to the OR, dude. I'd love to I'd get you a spot. You know, I know the owner. That's great. And, uh, <laughs> no, I get you a spot uh, if you want to text me. I'll hook you up with sure. Adam. Adam, the uh, the manager there, just text. That'd be him. great. If you want to call in like on Mondays and say, "Hey, I want to pop in," but That'd it's be awesome. great, and all you have to do is ten or fifteen minutes. So That's you know, perfect. Yeah, so you just do a set. That's perfect, and it's a really cool vibe. So Ari, you- Ari Shafir just shot his Comedy Central special there. Ari's great. Yeah, so he's uh, he's really blowing up. So That's fantastic. Um, um, is, he uh, won't return my call, that cocksucker. What? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what did you have any concept when you were four years old, like that? Because I, it's you know I I grew up in a bowling center. My dad owned a bowling center in Louisville in Memphis. Um, oh Memphis, yeah, in Memphis, Tennessee. Do you ever go to the Memphis uh, Elvis Presley thing? Yeah, Graceland. Yeah, yeah, that's sick. I I didn't go there until much later in life because I, I think when I when I grew up there, I was like, ah, who cares? Can you believe how real it is? It's, it's so weird. It's it's a, it's a very strange. Yeah. It's eerie. Yeah. Uh, Graceland is eerie. It is, but um. But just sort of growing up in an unconventional environment, I don't. I don't think I had any concept when I was a kid. Like, oh, this is not normal. This is not like a normal life. Mm. What was your life like when you were, you know, when your mom is basically single mom, you know, establishing yeah. this business, yeah. and then you're a kid running around? Like, were yeah. you raised? It was like it was like a, I was like a hot potato, pretty much. You know what I mean? Like they would, my mom would be busy, and she would just kind of hand me to one comic, and then the <laughs> other comic would hand me to another comic, and the other comic would hand me to another comic. And it was pretty much like that. Who was the best babysitter comic? <laughs> I'd have to say this guy, Chris Jackson. Mm-hmm. Chris Jackson was like best friends with Eddie Murphy. And um, he played Winnie the Pooh at Disneyland also besides doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. So he would you know, do the stand-up thing and then kind of babysat me. And then like during the day, he would go to Disneyland and play Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> and he took me. I mean, it's a pretty me. good Pretty good babysitter. Yeah, he to took poo. me a lot. Me and my friends would go, and you know, we'd speak through the you know thing 
to yeah. say what's up to him. And uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll meet, you, I'll meet you at the thing. All right, I'll see you in six. Oh, you that's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was really cool. Um, I don't know. Who else was – who else? I mean, you know, you had Mike Binder. You know Mike Binder? Yeah, I know Mike. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, I, don't, I, I don't really know him, but I know who he is. Yeah, he was a great comedian and, um, and director. He's a director now. Howie Mandel, mm-hmm. you know, Jim Carrey, all these guys were there. Yeah. Dice, uh, Paul Rodriguez. What was the scene? What, I mean, what did it feel like to be there in the late 70s, early 80s? Like, because it, it, that, that's Have, when... It was like heaven. It was kind of like when I got on my um, MTV, you know, when I got that time, it was like heaven. I was like, like Willy Wonka. I was like, oh my God. I'm like right out of high school. You know what I mean? I started acting and stuff and then I got in comedy and then... I got on MTV. Did you audition for MTV? Pretty or, much, yeah. It was not a, like a VJ type thing. So how did they? Was it an open audition, or did they just did, did you were you connected through the comedy store in some way? No, or? they just saw me, Drew Wilson. Remember Drew Wilson? Yeah, she was the head of talent back then. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. she was an, like South African lady. Okay. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was she was great. She um she saw me at the store. She thought I did really well. They flew me down to Spring Break. That didn't go well. And then I went back, <laughs> and then I did a comic strip live, which was from um, the Laugh Factory, mm-hmm. and that was a Fox show, and I did really well on that. And then we took that tape to MTV, and that like blew them away. And then from there, um, I, they started. We started doing commercials. Remember Randy the Redwoods? Of course, yeah, yeah. So I did like my own kind of version of that. That was the image campaign department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did that, and then. Um, and then after that, they offered me like a month, a month called Totally Poly because the, the the image campaign thing would said Totally MTV at the end, right? Um, and then um, and then from there, I got on Totally Poly. So it was like slowly, 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 slow. It wasn't like here's a three year contract. It wasn't like that. It was just like little pieces, and everything kind of took off. Now, how did you without? I know this is a fucking stupid question, but without the aid of social media, how? At that time, how was the network gauging, oh, this, this, now this character is catching on and people... Well, it wasn't really a character. It was kind of who I was. It wasn't like Pee Wee Herman. Right. You know what I mean? I was pretty much like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? I dressed that way and I acted that way. It wasn't like... You know what I mean? So you didn't. So for you, it wasn't like finding this voice. It was just no. you just kind of being the yourself. The whole thing happened accidentally. You right. know what I mean? When I was at the video, check it out. It's major, bro. Oh, you know what I mean? And right. that shit happened like just accidentally. And then we watched it back and we're like, it's fucking hysterical. You know what I mean? And it turned out like that. But... um. They didn't. They didn't watch me because I had my own language. I spoke my own thing to the kids. You know, check out my wood you created, bro. And I had my own shtick at, sure. at the time that was speaking right to the kids, and the kids were very much connected to it. And it's weird because even to this day, you know, here I am, fucking forty six, and it's still like, you know, I go through airports, yo, bro, you know, the shit like that, <laughs> and it's like this guy's like fifty yelling that shit to me. Well, but you know, yeah. MTV it like was so big back then. Yeah, I mean, it's uh-huh. w- if people were in a certain age group, mm. that that especially at that time, that's what you watched. You watched MTV, and it was incredibly influential mm. over. Like it was so culturally influential over, mm. you know. And I was the right age for that mm. too. So going to work there completely flipped me out 
because I was like, holy shit, right. remote control was here. Right, and yeah. You and all these other people and you know, they had they ran the young ones and like MTV was really cool. It was really it was yeah. cool. It was a cool it was, channel. Yeah, and and you know, even to this day, like you know <laughs> say like, the two old men reminiscing, it was cooler in those days. But no, even to this day, even to this day, you know, like when I bump into Bobby Moore and Tony DeSanto and Oh yeah, Tony and, and, mm-hmm. and fucking and Tim Healy. These guys are my like friends. I still talk to them all the time, you know, and and that's because that's my college. I went from I went from high school to MTV to films. I didn't go to college. So that was my college. Those were my college years. And when you're in college, you're what fucking 19 to what 24, 25, yeah. 20 whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So those years were those years were the years, you know, that was my frat, you know what I mean? Those spring breaks were like insane i never by the way just side note for matt tony DeSanto was the guy who created unplugged Ah. he was a producer at mtv he created unplugged and yeah a lot of shows and he was my assistant oh was he yeah yeah. i like tony he was a good he's a good guy yeah he's cool fuck tony (laughs) wait no why would you say that he's nice um so what you know for me the spring break experience was very um it was very clinical like they they would go okay if you have to shoot on this day, then we're going to fly you in that morning if we can. Mm. If not, then we'll fly you in late the night before. Like they did not – I felt like they didn't want you there any longer than you absolutely – because they didn't have Pretty to pay much. for you to of be course. there. Yeah. Well, and yeah. So they didn't spend a lot of money. I didn't really – like the spring breaks for me weren't really that fun in terms of like right. being social because there just wasn't any – it was like, oh, well, I got to go now. Yeah, in and out. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I, I suspect it might have been a little more fun – I think it. I think it had started to get way more corporate-y mm. when I was there. When I started there in like ninety four, ninety five, because mm. I would hear these stories about like, oh, the first beach house was fucking crazy. Yeah, people jumping off roofs. Yeah, yeah. You know, now there's liability and the yeah, neighbors. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. There was a generation before me yeah. that had all the MTV fun, but for me, it was not. It was very like, yeah, you know, do this, stand here, get out. If the tiki god talks to you, don't talk back. The tiki god. That guy was a guy named Andy McElfrish, and he worked on Leno for years and years and years. Andy McElfrish hosts uh, 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 Education Andy with uh, Kevin Smith on the Smartco Network. Andy, I made him do my outgoing message once as the Tiki God. <laughs> so, uh, what? At what point? It, like, did you feel comfortable the whole time at MTV? Were you like, it was? Did you? Did you enjoy it as a paradise, or did it get it ever feel weird? At the beginning, it was weird, you know, until I got my ratings and until, like, they started asking me to do more shit and I got my confidence and I felt more comfortable. Then it was like I was in heaven. At the beginning, it was Paradise City. At the end, it was Gangsta's Paradise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because so. it, it probably seemed like, oh, wow, this is... I'm guessing it seemed that, oh, this is super easy. I just have to be myself mm. and fuck around and, and amazing things happen around that. It's just connecting with that audience, you know? I just somehow connected with them with whatever it was that I was doing. Yeah. You know, and it worked and it caught on and it, it parlayed me into all my films. Right. What did you, you know? want to do when you were when you were in high school, having grown up around the store, were you just like comic, comic, comic? No, I mean I want I I mean I know it's gonna sound stupid, but I miss acting. You yeah. know, I acted a lot, you know, even before before MTV I was just acting. I did like 21 Jump Street. I did St. Elsewhere. I was just acting and I miss acting. I remember meeting Johnny Depp when I did 21 Jump Street and I was like fucking, I knew this guy was going to be a big star. I just knew it. You know what I mean? I hung out with him and, 
And yeah, he plays music and shit, but he was like a star. He's like a movie star. Like I knew it. And, you know, I wanted to do what he was doing, you know, and I felt like that's where I was going. I felt like, you know, if I can just keep acting, you know what I mean? Then, you know, I can act. But then the MTV thing happened, which was awesome and also fucked at the same time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of threw you off course a little bit. Yeah. Well, not only did it throw you off course, but it made you so identifiable as this yeah, as thing, this yeah, guy yeah, yeah, yeah. that and especially that time, yeah. you know, things are different now. Like there's so many things cross over now and people can be on a movie and they can be on a television show, they mm-hmm. can do this, they can do that. But at the time, especially I'm sure it was probably like, oh no, that guy just does that thing. Mm. He can't. Why? No, he's that guy. And even Man. then, too, it was the whole like, you're, you do TV. You don't do movies. You do right. TV. Well, he, he did cross over. He crossed over. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure it was a bit of more of a struggle, whereas they're like seeing him as TV guy, TV guy, TV guy, and he's like, no, I can do a movie. I think it was more. I, I mean, we could ask him. I, Polly? No, hang on. Because <laughs> I, 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 I think that even though you said it was you, but the character of Polly Shore. I would imagine would have been constrictive in terms, not television or film. I think the character might have been constrictive. Did you feel like that? As far as as get, doing other things and going back and oh, doing other, do other other stuff. acting, yeah, yeah. Especially after Encino Man and Son in Law, right? I mean, those are big hits for me, and that that put the like the stamp on it. That's who this guy is, right? You know what I mean? I mean, I was on MTV every day and starring in films and doing HBO specials at the same time, so it was like so so much. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was like so, so much. Were you ever worried like, ah, fuck. I wasn't thinking about that, dude. I was 20 fucking... What were the parties like? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was was just having fun and I just loved acting and I loved starring in films and I loved rewriting scripts with the writers and I loved waking up early and ordering a fucking breakfast burrito from the fucking, you know, the the catering guy. Give me an egg white breakfast burrito, bro. You know what I mean? And then going (laughs) to my shit and then I love when they, they would call us to the set to like rehearse and then we would block the scene you know i miss all that shit you know what i mean and so when did you start to feel like oh maybe this isn't working as much anymore um probably after biodome right (laughs) you know what i mean after biodome didn't perform it's really about what what it does at the box office you know what i mean and and you know even though biodome to this day you know a lot of your audience probably knows that film and probably really liked it it did really well for me as a cult film right like fucking like i know this because when i tour you can you can you get a response from the crowd when you mention certain things, but after that movie, it was just like my jig was up. It was like you know I had this great run and now it's time to go away. I actually auditioned for Biodome. Really? I think I auditioned to play William Atherton. Yep. To play, <laughs> no, really. I lost so many parts. No. <laughs> uh, to the to the Baldwin to Stephen Stephen Baldwin. Oh wow! And uh, my girlfriend's mom was in Biodome. Wow! It turns out Patty Hearst. Yeah. Patty Hearst. Yeah. That's your girlfriend? That's my girlfriend's mom. Oh, you wait, wait. Oh, you, who's your girlfriend? Lydia Hurst. Oh, okay. She's she's Oh, Lydia. Oh, okay, I know Lydia. Yeah, 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 yeah. From Yeah, every time I see her she's always like, my, right? Patty Hurst. Yeah. That's the mom. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. Holy shit. Because I told her, I was like, oh, Polly's in the show. Oh, like, my, oh, my mom is in bio. I'm like, uh, what? That's uh, crazy. I forgot. I totally and forgot that. You, you know what's crazy also is that I get on Twitter, I get people hitting me up going, I didn't know uh, Tenacious D was in Biodome. <laughs> Black Black's in Biodome. Yep. Yeah, he was in there. And that's when he first started. So after yeah. Biodome, what, what, do you think, what do you think happened? Do you think it was just like, do you think it was just one too many 
poly things and people were like yeah and also the it. quality the quality i think you know what i mean wasn't as good i think the directors weren't as good i think the scripts weren't as good i just think everything wasn't as good you know because yeah. i was under the disney burritos is good yeah no, i was <laughs> i was under the umbrella at disney of jeffrey katzenberg okay genius he's a fucking genius like, yeah he was like the only like from what my experience like when I worked, when I worked in the business, like he was the only guy that was like this big executive, but also would love to get his his hands dirty in the script mm-hmm. and like really be creative. You know, a lot of these suits are like, oh, let them do it. But he would, he got into it, and that's why all those three movies, Encino Man, Son in Law, and Biodome, were big hits for me. No, not Biodome. In the Army Now was a big hit for me. Those three films because Jeffrey Katzenberg oversaw everything. And then after I left Disney, I did. Um, Didn't Jury Duty? Jury, no, Jury Duty was over at. Uh, that was at. That was at Sony. Okay. That was at Sony, and then Biodome was MGM. Okay. But um, so that's where I think like the quality after in the Army now I think wasn't as good, you know, because because those three films that I did were really successful. And then uh, when you started to feel like. Oh, the usual stuff's not working. Mm. What what do you do? Do you ignore it or do you try to fix it or like what? How do you well, deal with it? I did a it? sitcom. Yeah, I did a sitcom on Fox, and that got canceled. <laughs> you know, which happens. A lot. It happens more often than yeah. You know, every happen. sitcom that's been on Fox, except for the ones on right now, got canceled. Yeah, that's I'm very sure. true. That's true. Yeah. Oh, well, you're that blowing my mind. You son of a bitch. <laughs> um, so after that, after that, it, 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 I felt like tired and I felt burnt and I felt like I needed a break. And I, I, I let my manager and my agent go at the time, you know, which I think was a bad move. But I didn't do it, you know, because they did anything. I just kind of needed to be alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I just wanted to get away from CAA and Three Arts and that whole thing. I just needed to kind of be alone. I needed to kind of grow up. For so long, I'd been kind of spoon-fed. You know, I went from, you know, growing up with, um, you know, with, you know, in Beverly Hills. I went to Beverly Hills High School. My mom gave me whatever I wanted. And then I went from, you know, from, from that to, like, MTV, and they gave me whatever I wanted. And then I went from that to movies and Playboy Mansion, and they gave me whatever I wanted. And I was just everything I wanted, everything I wanted. And then finally, people stopped giving me what I wanted, and I was time, like, you know, now I'm like everyone else. And I felt, like, more – I think Mark Maron even said that, like, in a – LA Times piece I did recently is like, yeah, when Polly, when life started shitting on him, that's when he got funnier. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. I think I read that, but, um, but, um, it was a blast. You know, I had such a good time and, and, you know, and my thirties were a little rough because I was just, you know, I needed to get away from everything. I needed to kind of go from a boy to a man. Like I remember my 30th birthday party, I cried. I like, cried a lot because it was just weird. And it wasn't about the career. It was about, like, what was going on inside of me. I was, like, going from, like, this childlike person to, like, a human being. And it was, like, and I didn't know how to do it. Well, so what, now my 30s were, like... Well, sure. It must have been scary, know, too, yeah. because you don't know what... You don't know... Nothing's being fed to you. Like, you're not being spoon-fed anymore. You, you, you don't know what is going to happen with the future. And you're probably... I'm sure it's a massive identity crisis. Yeah. You're like, oh, this thing that I was for so long is not a thing. I mean, like, but it's not me it and it's anymore, not, yeah. I don't know how to process yeah. that. Yeah, it was really hard. You know, I got sad. You know, I got really sad. I lost my smile. <laughs> I was depressed. And that's when I did Polly Shore's Dead, you know, after that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, you know, fortunately, I, you know, knock on wood that I never went and did crazy drugs. I was never had that. 
I don't have that that addic- addiction, you mm-hmm. know, that a lot of people have when things don't work out for him for them. Um, I was able to, um, you know, I saved my money. I still have a beautiful house up in the hills, and and you know, I live in Silver Lake, but you know, I have a house. I still own my house, and I lease it out and stuff like that. But uh, I was able to, you know, uh, I don't know, just kind of like you know, grow up from the whole thing. At any point in that, during that time, did you think, you know, maybe I, I'm going to start, I'm just going to audition for other things and not be probably sure I'm going to audition and just be like, go back to doing episodic television or movies just as an actor. Yeah. I mean, I did too. I mean, I, I don't remember, but I did a lot. I've done a lot of different things. You know, I just don't remember what they were like a lot of different parts and different things here and there. Yeah. So, and were you continue? But, you were continuing to do stand up that whole the, the whole yeah, time during yeah. the whole period. But I, but I, you know, I started when I did. I talk about Polly Shore's dead, okay, which is something that I, you know, um, I was one of the first people to shoot HD. You know, with the first, it was like it was like two thousand, two thousand, two thousand one. Oh wow! Yeah, I had like a That's it was early. like a ten eighty i camera, and I was like I was on the cover of the HD magazine directing <laughs> this. You know what I mean? But I paid for it, and I directed it, and I wrote it, and I got everyone in it, and everyone got the joke, and it turned out to be like one of my best things. And ever since then, you know, I've been just producing and directing and acting and putting my own money in my own stuff, and I own everything. And just this last film that I did, my documentary has been like just beautifully the Showtime documentary. Yeah, pe- yeah. people have just beautifully responded to it. So. You know, from specials, you know, I have a deal at Showtime where I just kind of do stuff with them and I've, they trust me and and my stuff gets out there and I don't know, you know, everything happens for a reason, you know, it's like, you know, because of, you know, shit slowing down for me, I kind of got, I, I, I got up off the bike and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do this myself and I did it myself and now here we are, 2015 and everyone's what? Doing it themselves. Right. So I have this experience, you know, I have a C300 camera, I'm, you know, doing this stuff, what you're doing and... And so, you know, I'm able to, you know, put stuff together from scratch, you know, which I wouldn't have been able to done if shit didn't slow down because I wouldn't have had that experience. What do you think is the what do you think is the a common misconception about you? Like what this uh, what what do you, what what do you think people perceive you to be? I think people just feel annoyed by my character or by that whole weasel shit, which I think is fucking awesome. <laughs> you, you think it's I mean? awesome they're annoyed by it? Or you think you think the character? I think are... that Weasel character is awesome. Yeah, it's silly. Like who does silly shit anymore? Everyone's so serious, right? You know what I mean? It's cool to be stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was with this girl like recently, and we were out like just having dinner. She's a friend of mine. It wasn't like a anything romantic or anything. And and you know, and she says like I like you when you're just being you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fuck, is it like that annoying to have goof off? Right. You know what I mean? Like what? I can't goof off. Is that not cool anymore? No, but, that's really what the weasel is being stupid and goofy. Yeah, I you know I don't I mean? know. I mean, I think I've heard, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've heard, you know, I, I I've heard someone, I've had people say that to me before, mm. and I I've, I've calmed down a lot in the last couple of years because mm. I used to be super like ah, super yeah. spazzy, and I think it was just a, a for me, I think it was a a defense mechanism or a way to try to like, hey guys, uh, every, everything's okay, let's all mm. you know, mm. everything's. And then, uh, and when I stop trying to do stuff, mm. is when. But isn't that weird? Like you can't be stupid. Otherwise, you... people are like you're acting stupid, <laughs> and it's not cool. You know. I don't yeah, know. you got to find someone who lets you act stupid around them. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think it's know. also I think it's also nice when someone says, "Hey, I just I like you. I like you yeah. when you're just yourself." Yeah. And because I think there I think there are times and places to be stupid, and other times. 
I think the thing about being stupid is that it it can if the other person's up for it, it's fine, but it can create work for the other person because right. they have to be stupid too, right. or they have to be like ah, like yeah, yeah. you're forcing them to engage in mm-hmm. this charade of yeah. like. And 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 sometimes that's fine. Other times, I think people are just like, "Hey, yeah. what? If, why don't we just talk? Like, yeah. why? Do, why can't we just be? Yeah, and why can't we just be that's normal?" That's cool too. So I find myself like, you know, shifting a lot into just talking, and I'm like, "All right, now I got to talk." But uh, I guess it's okay. I mean, like I was, I was saying about the documentary is like I got that a lot from people, even close friends that would text me or, you know, I don't know, you know, David Arquette. You know, he called me or texted me and said, "Oh my god!" Like, you know what I mean? And these people didn't like hit me up like when I did Adopted. Right. You know, I would go do the, the movie in Africa where I adopted black babies, which was a mockumentary, which was, to me, I thought was really funny, but it wasn't true. Mm-hmm. You know, but they like the stuff that's really, people like the stuff that's really true. Well, I think, you know, I so. think it's interesting to hear, you know, because the audiences get such a one dimensional side of mm. what they see on a screen or like what a person's character, and what they perceive. And, a person's and character. sometimes there's nothing wrong with that. Like, what did Eminem say? Like, I think of Eminem a lot because I think he's fucking genius. Like, mm-hmm. with his thing is like, you know, like, what does he say? He says, he says that one rap, I am whatever it is that you say that I am. You know how, like, he's like, oh, he's nuts. He's got Slim Shade. He's got Marshall Matt. He's got all these different personalities. Like, he's just fucking around. Yeah. And, like, that's all I was really doing is just fucking around. Yeah. yeah and I, know, I just, I like, think, I think I people know. just like seeing a human. I think, th- I think they're totally fine with that fucking around stuff. But I think sometimes they just like seeing. That's more relatable. A human connection. Yeah. Because there's so much stuff now mm-hmm. that people are kind constantly having to process and there's a million you know like when when we were growing up again i mean like it was pre-internet and mtv was really the place Mm -hmm. for that kind of alternative younger mindset and now it's everywhere and like it's just so it's so much everywhere that i think people people really like to have like they've seen the one dimensional stuff and mm. they just kind of like the I think they like the sort of the human connection of things and I think people you know I mean you're the way that you grew up and the environment that mm. you were surrounded in I mean the most influential brilliant mm. tragic stories and comedy swirled around like that was part of your life mm. that's fa- that's yeah beyond fascinating yeah that's who I am. You know? Who do you think you were most influenced by? At the, at the I'd have to say Richard Pryor and Sam Kennison. That the, the, what I really learned from them a lot, because I, I saw them live a lot, was um, how likable they were on stage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How they would go on stage and immediately you just feel their heart. And I think that was like the most thing. And when it came to hecklers, it was never like mean. They were never like... You know, like mean. It was always like kill him with kindness, mm-hmm. and I kind of got that from them. You know, you know that thing. You know, so you know what I mean. Did you ever see them? Like, what was it like to watch one of them have a rough set? Well, the way I mean, let's talk about Richard Pryor first. Um, he had a lot of rough sets because the way he would work his his hour. You know, you you've seen live on the Sunset Strip. Yeah, of course, you've seen those 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 older comedy movies. <laughs> He would basically go up in the OR, and I was there. I saw it happen because I would be like, how the fuck is this guy going to pull this hour off? He's got you know, Columbia Pictures or whoever. Like He's got to deliver an hour in like three months or two months or whatever it was. And he would literally go up every night, and he would start off with five minutes, and it would like tank. 
And then he would go up with six minutes and it would get a little bit better. And then finally, like within like two weeks or three weeks, he had like a good 20 minutes. Wow. You know, and it just, that was how he worked. He's just like a little start, a little kernel, but he was there every night at like nine, blah, 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 whatever the time was. And, you know, and, and he just did it. You know what I mean? But I watched him bomb a lot. He bombed a lot. People were like, this ain't going to be funny. Even though when he'd walk on, up on stage, people were like, this is Jesus Christ. Right. People like, even to this day, like, if, you know, like, if anyone, any big comics go on stage now, like, they, people, the audience doesn't respond as they did when Richard Pryor was name was mentioned. People couldn't believe it. You know, ladies and gentlemen, Richard Pryor would be like, oh my God, what? And people would stand up and then he'd walk on stage and your heart would just open. And it was like this really sweet, sweet experience that he would have. And he was so funny, dude. You know, he was so funny. What about Sam? Sam, um, Sam, you know, Sam, you know, uh, his, his sets were like, like, I mean, he was so funny because, like, you know, before, you know, the drugs and before that, you know, he got so affected and became that character. You know, he was just, like, dangerous. And you didn't know what the fuck he was going to say. And he would go on stage and he was just, like, this guy, this ex-preacher guy that was, uh, that just, uh, you know, you could see he went against the ministry. You could see, like, he broke out and now he's going to fuck with them. Right. You know what I mean? He's like... One of the one he's he got away from us and now he's gonna and now he's gonna uncover us and he had that thing and now he started talking about the ministry and Jesus and all these different and it was hysterical and it was like taboo you know he would talk about taboo and he would I was a short order cook at the comedy store in Westwood when I was fourteen years old and um and Sam used to come you know all the comics Jimmy Brogan Carrie Snow they all used to come back there and I'd give them my leftovers and I'd give Sam the leftovers my mom used to put Sam on last he would go on last <laughs> and he would go on stage and, and it'd be around 2 in the morning it'd probably be about I don't know 6 to 10 people in the audience and he would uh, take the stool and he'd do a couple of his jokes and then he'd be like out of my house get out of my house uh 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 and he would take the stool and he would throw it at the, the kids because it was by UCLA yeah. and all the kids would like scamper off <laughs> and then and then I would feed him and then he would sleep on the stage oh my god because he had nowhere to stay and I would leave the door open for him you know at the end of the night wow. yeah yeah and he was um dangerous and lovable and hysterically funny and you know and and i was in awe of him because he was unattractive physically but he was so attractive and so sexy at the same time do you know what i mean do you think does that make sense it makes perfect sense Did, did uh did you think um success destroyed some of these people I mean, obviously, Sam died in a way that was terrible that had nothing to do but with... But at the beginning. But, well, but, but what, what, what did you learn about success watching you know, Sam Kinison sleeping on the stage, and then a couple years later, he's like the biggest fucking comic in, you know, in the country? Uh, no, it was just about talent. He was talented, and everyone knew it. So it was just a matter of time. Just like Jim Carrey. You know, I watched him, and he was fucking so talented, but also terrible at the same time. Like trying to figure it out you know when you do his like his impressions of like uh who is it henry fonda on golden pond yeah you know remember that yeah you know, oh, he yeah. would like turn around and he fucking was fucking henry fonda you were like this guy is fucking amazing and he didn't hit for a while he did some really bad films 
like Once Bitten. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? He did some like really shitty films. But then once he got on, you know, obviously Matt or uh, was it Living Color. Yeah. And he was able to kind of do these characters. That's who Jim was. And then that's why Ace Ventura worked for him because he was playing this kind of odd character. I just mean success. Yeah. Like what did you learn about watching the trappings of success or any, you know, like – were there lessons that you were learning in th- throughout this process and go, oh, wow, that, that was really fucked up. I have to remember not to do that. A hundred percent. I mean, I have this saying that I came up with a long time ago, which is it's cool to dance with the devil, just don't become the devil, <laughs> which means it's cool to get fucked up, but just don't become fucked up. Right. And, you know, and that's what happened to Amy Winehouse. That's what happened to a lot of these people. They get successful and their addiction takes over them and they become this fucking just mess. And Sam became a mess. He was. He was a fucking disaster. And is there any way, you know, I'm sure there are, you know, people like, oh, I wish I had done this. Or is it, can you help someone in that, at that stage? Like, I mean, do- look at Andy Dick. You know what I mean? I talk about him a lot right now because I'm concerned for him. Yeah. Because I love Andy Dick in America and, and people think he's fucking hysterical, but he's got this addiction thing. Like, you know, it's just an addiction thing. I mean, we have AA meetings at the comedy store. There's people there. Like, I, I don't know. I, I can't answer what that is like, you know, to be that. So I think that's just addiction. You got to be sober. And I think you, I think, you yeah. also, I think, have to be lucky enough to have people in your life that you trust that can go, hey, you need to come back because you're about to fall off the cliff. Yeah, but when you're fucked up, from what I understand, like, you know, it's like, it's the old saying, you can lead a horse to water. You know what I mean? Like, Right? You can't make him do coke? You can't. <laughs> no, the, no, the, the horses will do all the coke in the room. Like right. a horse will do... They have noses for coke. A horse... They sure do, yeah. Huge nostrils, Chris. But... Uh, but does that make sense? Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, Sam had all these people around him, and he was making money, and he was touring, and, you know, he... Um, he was... It got to the time where United Artists... You know, he sued, like, United Artists over like this script called A Took. Mm-hmm. Sam was going to star in a movie where he played like an Eskimo or some shit. And he showed up with his tour bus. He's like on the set. Imagine if you committed to a film that's mm-hmm. starring you. It's a $10 million budget. And you go to fucking like Texas or whatever, right? And, you're yeah. in, and everyone's there. The craft service, the, whole, the burritos are there, right? Nice. <laughs> and, and you haven't even read the script. You haven't you haven't even read the script, right? And he and all his his comedians that are all on coke, they all read the script. They're like, "This thing sucks," and the bus drives off. And he's like, "I'm not doing this piece of shit." Oh shit! Yeah, so he got sued by United Artists for like you know ten million or twenty whatever it was. So he had wow. to like tour to pay off the attorneys and da 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 da. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean it doesn't. So he made some really bad choices. Well, you know, I think the the party stuff is fun in the beginning because everything's a lot easier in the you know it's like oh it's all easy but i think if you want to be able to maintain and figure mm-hmm. out how to evolve and figure out how to then i think then then that stuff just does yeah, not well, serve at, you well look at the lead singer of uh, allison chains lane lane staley right. i mean like fucking fucking genius dude like his voice is beautiful like you listen to those old mtv unplugs and you hear his voice, he's, he's like this, he's like this, and it's the shit that comes out of it, you're like, unbelievable. Like, he died of fucking heroin and, sure. you know, and all that. It's like, you know, I don't know. So you were lucky that you just didn't have that gene. Yeah, my dad's an alcoholic. He's been sober for, I don't know, over 40 years. But for me, like, I can go have a glass of wine and not want another one. Mm-hmm. What do you think your biggest struggles are? 
vagina. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think committing to to one girl is really difficult for me. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's like really like because I love I love being alone. I love traveling. I love meeting people. And it's not even about wanting to have sex with other girls anymore. I'm not at that place, but I want to go out and hang out with them. And I feel like if you kind of flirt and kiss or touch, you know, another girl, like your girlfriend or wife will be like, that's not cool. Yeah, that's definitely not cool. <laughs> yeah, but it's not about having sex. It's about a connection with other people. But, you know, but for me is like, you know, everyone's saying, oh, you got to have a kid. You got to just settle down with one. You know what I mean? And I'm sure like if I see you in a year from now or whatever, and I've had a kid and I'll be like, Chris, remember I was saying that thing? I did it. And it's fucking awesome. Why did I wait so long? That's what yeah. everyone says. Yeah. Okay. yeah, you're married with kids and all. No, that? I'm not. Really? Yeah, no. So you you don't have a girlfriend or anything? Well, Lydia, Lydia Hurst. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We just, but we, but it's new. We've only been dating for a couple months, and oh, so okay. it's not, you know. Yeah, newly. We don't have any. We don't have any kids yet. Uh, right. That you know of. Not. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I everyone. How does, old are you? How old are you? Forty three. Forty three. Okay. Yeah. Everyone says that. Everyone says that. Like, oh, when you have the kids, it's the greatest yeah. thing ever. But then you, but you know, with a lot of my, but a lot of my friends who actually, and they're like, are, are raising kids, are like, like, no, you, you get to sleep in, right? Run, run, run uh, leave yeah. this place. Oh, and right. it's funny because it's all. I mean, you can you please chime in on this? I mean, do you have any babies? No, okay, no. But it's always it's always the girls. It's always the girls that are always the ones that say you got it. Da 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 da. Like guys are like. Mostly go, don't do it, right? Well, every time I describe my weekend to the writer's room, which we have three very new parents in the writer's room, they're like, The oh, guys are God, into what it, is right? That like, it must be amazing to not have kids. Oh, they, they're <laughs> no, like, they're not like, into, They don't want it, right? No. Because, like, I just. Yeah, don't. it's fucked up. It's like a scam for chicks, <laughs> right? It's like, come on, come on, come in my vagina. Come on, <laughs> let's do it. Have a baby, you know? Right here. I don't think I've ever orgasmed in a girl's vagina. Because Maybe once, like when I was 26 or something. It's a lot. Of I just get scared. Cause, yeah, because if you... Pregnancy. Sure. And they're like, oh, I'm on the pill. Yeah, right, bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, you know what probably mean? what What's-Her-Face said to Spade. Yeah. Oh, uh, what's her name? I forget. Uh, yeah. I just, uh, I just don't... I don't know. Maybe if it, if it happens, I'll... It, well, you obviously have some fucking issues too, pal. I mean, I don't want, well, I you're don't 43, want... and you've obviously gone out with girls, and for whatever reason, you haven't bungee jumped into the fucking commitment. No, absolutely. Thing with the absolutely. kids and the whole deal. Absolutely. So, what's going on with you? I don't know. I think it probably. I mean, I was pretty messed up until I was about 31, and then messed up meaning what? Just drinking. Oh, okay, and, yeah, yeah. And, and then, now you're sober. Yeah, for 11 years. Wow. And um, so you should go to the AA meeting at the store. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good. So one you to were go getting to. really fucked up, huh? Yeah, really. But a lot of it was because I wasn't comfortable with myself, and I and I wasn't. I didn't want to have any responsibility. But you I can't went. have a drink now. You don't want a glass of wine. If you go no. out with your friends, you have a steak. You're like, oh, do you want one glass of wine? No, no, no really. Coffee. Because yep. you're gonna want to keep going. That's right. Really, I I'm I'm able to not drink because I respect the power of my addiction, and I know that. It, uh, and, and then I go, okay, I could do that, but then where does that lead? And then I see this, I see this desolate wasteland that huh. would ultimately happen. I go, well, I don't want that, so I'm gonna mm. keep making this choice and, where and I so, feel happy. So do you feel it's like it's like something that's in your system? It's kind of like a, a disease, right? Don't they call it a disease? Yeah, but it, you know the thing with the the thing with the brains that 
we have, I don't mean you, we, I mean we, the alcoholics, is that, uh, you know, we have obsessive brains. Mm. And so it doesn't, it's not like just not drinking makes everything perfect. You know, there's still a lot of shit. Is to there do a with. way that you can get a surgery where they go in there and they tweak your brain so you could just have a couple glasses and yeah, not yeah, want to? you know, everyone's brain I has mean, a switch where you no, yeah. no, but yeah. wouldn't that be cool? No, because it doesn't like now. It doesn't really mean anything to me anymore, and right. and I don't really. And I also came to appreciate enjoying experiences. The way that sober. they are, yeah, yeah, as sober. opposed to trying to enhance them chemically and f- kind of faking the amp up, you know. Oh, I understand. And so I get that there are probably times where if I had a drink, it'd be like this party's ten times more amazing. <laughs> it's forty percent better than it would have been. Right. But I also know that having that isn't worth, you know, the. 90% drop in the quality of the long-term outcome of the rest of my life. So, right, right, right. It, you know, that that's sort of the math, the math of it. So you but your biggest struggle you think is commitment? Um I don't know. I just kind of like being alone. And then if you're with a girl, they always want to do shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, preach, brother. <laughs> You know, like, I want to come, even like, I want to come over, and you're like, no, I just want to sit here alone. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to wake up to you in the morning. Some would say that that's that's maybe a little more of a self-centered take on it, which is fine. Like, you can do whatever you want. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Right. But maybe you just, do you think it's that you just haven't met the person that makes you want to not? No. I'm so used to kind of being alone that I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like you know having companions too, but I also really like going home alone and and just being alone and and you know and working on my stuff, you know, or whatever. What do you do? What do you do when you're alone? Like, what do you do when you go home? What's your what's your kind of ritual? Well, I usually from here I'm going to go to the Korean spa. No, I'm not going to get a hand job. <laughs> no, uh, Bobby Lee turned me on to this uh, Korean spa that I go to. Wait, Bobby quite... Lee turned you onto it, and you're sure you're not getting a hand job? No, no. <laughs> Maybe from Bobby. <laughs> yeah, from Bobby. Of is course. It, is it Wee Spa? No, it's not Wee Spa. It's a private spa. White people don't know about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just I'll go there. I'll shave. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, you know, you know, watch the game. I'll steam. I'll go into the, you know, the cold plunge in the hot water, and I'll do that for maybe like forty-five minutes, and then I'll go to Silver Lake, and then um, tonight my girlfriend's probably gonna want to come over. And then, uh, you know, you know, uh, she'll, she'll come over and then, uh, probably, um, there's a local bar down the street that's, that does wine. Maybe, maybe have a glass of wine. Maybe not. Mm -hmm. Probably maybe watch some CNN or like Fox news channel surf, you know? Just go to you know see Sports Center. Was any of this in the has any of this been in the documentary? Has the documentary been more focused on you touring? The the documentary is is about a um it's me on a midwestern tour playing these obscure markets as I'm dealing with my mom, kind of moving out of the house. You know, we kind of find out who my mom is in the doc that she's not just my mom; she's the mom for all these comedians. Yeah. So that's revealed mm-hmm. because she's in her 80s now. A lot of the younger generation they don't know who she is. Sure. So we talk about all that and then, you know, moving her out of the house of 40 years. So it's kind of like me going out on the road, making a living while I'm dealing with this kind of, I don't want to say secret, but this issue that I have to deal with, which is moving her out of this house of 40 years. It's my childhood house. This is the house that's like above the comedy store. No, it's the house in Doheny and Sunset. Okay. Okay. Up there. And, um, 
And that's the house that all the comics that you were talking about earlier right. would go and party and get fucked up. And Richard Pryor and Sam and Robin Williams used to pick up his check there. And, you know, this was like my mom. My mom would always be like, after the show, come, let's party at the house. That was my childhood house. So we had to sell it because she's sick and we couldn't afford, you know, and she didn't need to stay there and all that stuff. So I was dealing with that while I was on the road. So it's like something like someone in their 40s really relates to. And I of think course. that's why people really responded to the documentary because everyone is like, The mortality oh, of their parents. Yeah, dude. It's fucking gnarly, dude. Like I stop by there almost every day and she's dying of Parkinson's. It's like she's got this shit in her system and it's just fucked up. It's like a slow death. How are you holding up? It's tiring. It's fucking tiring. You know what I mean? But I know at the end of the day, like I know she's not, she's not suffering, meaning she's not in pain. It's not like she's like, like she's got good help. Mm -hmm. And Parkinson's, as you know, you can live with forever. Uh, Michael J. Fox has it for a while. Muhammad Ali has it. There's a lot of people that have it as long as you have good good care. Yeah. So she's got good care. So is she? Is she she aware? Yeah. Mm, Not really. Not really. It's gotten worse. Your grandparents still alive? Uh, My my have a grandmother still alive, and she doesn't she doesn't know. She has forgotten that my grandfather died, right. and she thinks that he's just not coming to pick her up. Right. Like, so she's she's ninety three, maybe, mm. and so she's she's definitely suffered. Yeah, some. And where is she in, in Louisville? No, she's in Northern California. Oh, Northern California, yeah, okay. Bay Area. Oh, so God. yeah, so it's uh, it's something that you know people in their forties, fifties, whatever they're they're experiencing right now, and it's like you want to do it right, and you want to you know take care of them, and it's like. So, you know, I'm the baby and I love my mom so much, you know what I mean? And she gave so much to me. So you sell so much to the world that I want to make sure she's handled properly. So, and are you, uh, uh, are your other siblings, do you guys all sort of trade off or is they or- don't live here, but they, you know, help out emotionally and they call her and blah, blah, blah. But I'm the one that's on the ground, you know? Yeah. So I'm here. And are you, are you sort of ultimately prepared with, you know, like, well, she was not yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, I, I've already kind of said my goodbyes to her just because like she hasn't been her in years. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like the yeah. Mitzi Shore, the mom that I knew. So like, she's just like this person that's, I don't really recognize as much, you know? Yeah. Um, the good part is though, is a lot of the comics, they do go and visit her. So, like, Arsenio will stop by um, about a month ago. Gary Shanley stopped by. So, like, I connect with the comics to kind of be the liaison so they can go see her and visit her. And if there's any comics listening, text me, and uh, I'll let you go see my mom. So um, <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's cool. So, you're dealing with that on the road during this tour. Yeah, and yeah, on the, in the documentary. So, are you talk, Do you talk about it on stage at all? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I talk about it on stage. It's, there, it, it's therapeutic, right? Yeah. Yeah, the documentary is hugely therapeutic because I shot it at a time where I was fucking real, shit was heavy for me. Yeah. Now stuff's not as heavy for me. Like, I was living in that house, too. Do you understand? So I'm living in the house that's uh-huh. fucking decaying. She's decaying. I'm fucking exhausted. I'm making, you know what I mean? I'm in and out of the road trying to make ends meet, you know, doing my thing, you know, on the road. And I go home, you know, a lot of people go home to like this happiness, like, oh, my wife and kids or my place on the beach. Or like, I'm going home to this death, you know what I mean? And I wanted to film it because I, I felt like, I don't know, I felt like a, like a musician that was kind of had to sing a sad song. You know what I mean? Like I had to film it because I was just going through it. And, and I, I, that was all the stuff that I brought out on the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
So you're so in a way, this is kind of a is this preserving anything for you? I mean, like, was that part of the the need to document yeah. it? Yeah, that house, that house, and that time. Yeah, you know, and I filmed it, and I have it, and I always have it. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And a lot of the comics will see this, and or they have seen it. Like Louis Anderson texts me, and this one texts me, and like, oh, you know. So it's cool. That was the house. Yeah. So, and it's fucking dirt lot now. It's oh, crazy! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. What well, I I, I would have. I mean, if I bought it, I would have made it a dirt lot. Really? Yeah. Why? Because it was old and moldy and crusty, and she didn't keep it up. <laughs> It, I mean, it, almost, it almost could have been a comedy museum. Yeah, it could have been like uh, Look how many, a bunch of comics did coke off this table yeah, right here. Exactly. Well, they have that at my house. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You got the coke table. <laughs> so, do you, in general, do you you feel okay now? You feel yeah. you feel you feel good? Yeah, definitely. Except for you know the sadness of my mom. You of know? course. But but besides that, you know. Things are cool, you know? Well, who do you I mean, sh- I'm, I'm back with my old agents, and things are good, you know? Adam Bennett, what's up, bro? Yeah, I know, I know Adam. Yeah, so Adam's been my agent for the last couple of years, and, you know, he watches out for me over there, and um, I'm happy with the stuff that, that I'm putting out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really proud of myself. I'm proud of, you know, taking time with things. Don't just putting them out. Um and, you know, I love to create, you know what I mean? That's what I get off on, just like you. You know, you've created this big, this big Nerdist empire. Like, I think that's fucking awesome. Like, I hear about it all the time, and I'm so proud of anyone, you, you guys that do this stuff. It's like... Well, there was, you know, you know for the longest time... No, I know, you, it took you a while. But there was this, I always felt like there was this... And maybe it was just a self-imposed curse, but I felt like if you worked at MTV, mm. it meant that you... And you were the exception. There were one or two exceptions... But you you wouldn't be able to work anywhere else. It was sort of like this weird sort of curse. Like, oh, that's an no. MTV person, and they couldn't. And then at a certain point, I was like, oh, I think I made it. Just maybe I made that up yeah. in my brain. I think honestly, Chris, it's it's really to me, it's about the talent and the talent and the drive and the vision. And I think talent always wins. You know, I think that you know, musicians, actors, comedians, if you're talented, you look at Howie Mandel is a great example of a guy that I think is really super talented. And he was, you know, he was, you know, working so well in the eighties. And then for like years, like he couldn't get arrested. And then he got a deal or no deal. deal. And then all of a sudden people are like, I love Howie. And then he's doing shit with Jay Leno. And now, and then he's doing this and that. And, you know, he's talented, you know, and in, in Travolta, the same thing, like, you know, so you're a talented guy, and you had to find your thing, and you found it, and, and it's cool. You know, so. it was a fun. It was fun though. Like the experience was really fun. trying to figure it out. No, the MTV experience. was oh. it was even though I you're like no. When I look back on it, I remember at the time I wasn't enjoying it because I felt out of place. But when I look back, I'm like, you know, it was actually it was fine. Like it, it yeah. was it was a fun. No, was, you were you did good. I remember I used to watch you on that show. You did a great job. I you know? didn't. I didn't really. I, I don't know. It, it. It. The MTV of it all was sort of a strange. It, they're not. It's different now. It's so. They're so different now. Yeah. Well, the the thing that you're doing is like MTV was back then, which is the freedom to do what the fuck you want to do, uncensored. And MTV was uncensored. For a That's while, what yeah. was so great about it. 
You know what I mean? Like the shit that I was doing, you know, they never stopped me. They never said anything. I could do whatever I want, just like you could do whatever you want now. So what do you, what, like, what kinds of things do you want to continue to work on? Or like, what do you want to, what do you want to do from? Well, I have this new uh, structure of a new podcast over at Podcast One, which I'm excited about um, because the, the podcast that I've had up for a while, which is called Polishers Interested, was, was actually really cool and different. The way it worked was as I'd interview someone, like for instance, I'd interview you and I'd take that interview to Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Right, and then me and Kennedy would listen to the audio of your interview, and we'd stop it every five minutes and kind of comment on what you just said. Sure, you know what I mean. So it's like almost like director's commentary on a thing. Right. So I had everyone on it. I had um, I interviewed Kitty Bruce, the daughter of Lenny Bruce, mm-hmm. and then Mark Marin comment oh, wow. on that. How Mark, was that? It was sick, dude. Like I learned a lot about about Lenny Bruce because because Mark Mark Marin really knows a lot about him, and the cool part about that particular episode is. The, the episode wasn't about Mark. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was about Lenny Bruce. Was he Bruce. okay with that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, but that's what was... Yeah, but it's... No, but it's true. It was, uh, but, you know, I interviewed Chris Rock and then Tommy Davidson comments. So that was that structure. So this new structure that I'm going into now <laughs> over at Podcast One is more of like my documentary. Right. More of like that. You know what I mean? And there's going to be a guest, but it's more about my personal life. Right. You'll know, have my mom's caregiver on, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, you know, I'll check in with her and more like, you know, I'll have my girlfriend on, you know, and see how that goes. Yeah. I don't yeah. know how that's going to go. <laughs> but like the, how I really am when I'm not filming, that's, right. that's how I'm going to shoot it. And I think that's good. I mean, yeah. like, I think it is fun to be stupid and it is fun to be that guy that people expect you to be. But I honestly, yeah. I think, I think it's okay just to be, just real. To be this guy, yeah, yeah, like yeah. just to, just to talk and, and share your feelings and talk about, yeah. you know, like what you're, are you nerds f- had big penises? I heard. Uh, that, you know what I mean? 100% true. Huge dicks. 100% like, They do, right? Tentacle style. Huge it's prehensile. Like if you, if you look at a nerd, nerd no, yeah. If you look at a nerd's glasses, like your glasses, you know, have that big piece of tape right in the middle, well, right yeah, there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, yeah. it's like the nerds that have the biggest piece of tape are the ones with the bigger penis. So that's, you have a really big penis. That's Matt, that's that's the nerd version of plumage. Like right. that's how yeah. that's how you know uh, that they're that their genes uh, are fertile females. Now, <laughs> <laughs> are you afraid of uh, has has since you've been around a lot of. Vaginas. Death vaginas. And you're going through this with your mom now. Are you afraid of it or do you are you comfortable with it or are you with death? Yeah. I'm not afraid of it and I think about it sometimes and I think that like, you know what, if I did die tomorrow, I feel like I did a lot. You know, like I accomplished a lot yeah. and went to a lot of places and had a good time. So I figure like, you know, I did it, but like I want to do a lot more. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but I think it's all right. Have you been to Thailand? No. You got to go. Why? I went this year. It's awesome. What'd you do? Uh, I don't know. Just had fun. (laughs) It's just super cheap and the food is super good and people are super nice and the fruit is super juicy. Like when you bite into like a, like bite into watermelon here, it's like good. Yeah. Or in Hawaii, it's like even better. But over in Thailand, it's like, oh my God. It's yeah. a flavor blast. Yeah, it's a, exactly. I would love to. There are so many places that I. I mean, Thailand sounds interesting. There you are should places do your nerdist, to go your nerdist podcast from Thailand, dude. I want to go to. Bring I want to go to Tokyo like a, first. I think. Sure. Yeah. I think South Korea would be really. Yeah. Fun. I want to go to Iceland. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You know, you're probably big over there with this, right? What are the numbers in Iceland? Five. Over in Iceland, two, five, maybe twelve, <laughs> five, five to twelve. Have you been overseas with your stuff? N- no, you should. I, I mean, I've done stand up in London, but but that's it. Really? Yeah. When did, when was that? Um, uh, about a year. And they knew you from all your stuff. They just knew the podcast. Wow. Didn't we decide that it would make sense for us to do a podcast over there? But we never. I did. think you would be great over there. Yeah, we could. It it. But we. Well, break I don't know even. if it would make that's sense. All we it, need to do. It's very expensive. Just break even. Yeah, as long as we could break even, it would yeah. be. So fine. you make money off of this? You, well, yeah, now kind of. Yeah, oh, but shit not tons, thousands. Like shit, tons. not shit tons. But do you like pay for this room? Yeah. For for the people that don't know what the Nerdist, uh, do you do this every week in this particular room? This is well, one the, of our studios. This is one of the. Studios. This is first of all, it's not a studio; it's a fucking room. It's an off. It's okay. a door, It's an office. <laughs> it's not. No, it's not even an office. It's a. It's a room that you'd put like, like, like VHS copies of like old shit. Yes, in. it's a storage room a storage that they cleared room. out to we could do the podcast in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they, yeah they're like, oh, let's stick them over here. <laughs> we threw out twenty five years of Johnny Carson's Tonight Show because that was all the tapes that were in here. We threw those out. Well, I mean. The sort of the way that it works now is because we produce so many other shows, and because we like the company, we have about thirty employees. Like it's not, it's not like I'm making so much money from this podcast. It's like mm. it's just part of the thing. It's part of mm. all the stuff. It's the profitable part of the machine. It's the it's it's part of everything that we do. And you have a whole bunch of your your podcasts on your network. Yes, that's sick. Yeah, that's it's sick. it's fun. It's really that's fun. Great. I like it. Um, anything else you want to plug before we? Before we my penis in your butt. Okay, cool. so <laughs> we're gonna see that in a minute. Is <laughs> there kidding. a social media? We'll no, is she looking? What's that? going on with the ratings? What do you? you it's pretty far down. There. It's pretty far down. How, how? That's okay. Hey, Iceland, put down those fucking ice picks. Oh, I was actually surprised to see us in Hungary. That's there's a lot of pussy in Hungary, bro. You should go out there. <laughs> <laughs> tell Lydia, tell Lydia, yo, babe, I'm doing a, a remote mobile over there, babe. You got to stay home. I am, I am a monogamous creature. Yes. I don't really care about... <coughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, of course you are. But <coughs> I don't really, I honestly don't really care about fooling around that much. Like, I, I, I was, I just don't really care. I understand. Be- you know what it is because... Stop I, winking at me, bro. What I the hell? Like- it's like, I don't care. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Stop recording. Yeah. Um, I don't really care about it because it, I don't know, it, it creates issues and expectations and then people's, you know, like your feelings can get hurt, someone else's feelings So you're can saying hurt, I shouldn't cheat on my girlfriend tonight? You should probably not cheat on your girlfriend tonight. Okay. But ultimately, <laughs> especially if she's coming over. <laughs> that would be the main reason not. You know what's fucked up about her is the first time we hooked up was me, me her, and her girlfriend. Oh, oh, okay. You know what I mean? So she's that type of girl. But now, like, she, you turn into the girlfriend mode, and, like, they're like, what are you looking at? Like, ugh. So it's yeah. not... So it's you, not you, like you feel like it started one way, and now it's transitioned yeah, they to... They all do. It's transitioned Into to her and her rompers with her mass, mud mask on. How do I look, honey? No, I'm just kidding. She's not like that. <laughs> you're, you're just kidding with sort of half... I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sort of, sort of just kidding, but uh, it was good to see you, and it was nice catching up. And yeah, dude, I'm so proud of you. Like, I love when people do well. Oh, thank you. You know what I mean? I know how hard it is, and I know that you know you're out there. You guys are out here in this broom closet, <laughs> slaving away. <laughs> but uh, uh, can you plug to my stuff so sure. people, can, all your nerds, can come, come over to yes, my yes, my yes, side? Yes, can yes. they come over to my side a little bit? They can come to your side. I'm, I'm, tell, dude, because you're the king nerd, bro. I'm not the, I'm, I'm, tell them to shoot fly over to the wee side, bro. I'm a, I, that wouldn't that wouldn't come out of my mouth. 
in a no, way no, that's that how would you'd be say it. discernible. You'd say it's your flavor of the week. Yeah. That, see, it sounds that's good coming exactly out of you. Twitter at Polly Shore, and then the new podcast is going to be at Podcast One, and um, the new documentary is on Showtime, and it's playing all month. And what's and it called? It's called Polly Shore Stands Alone, but I'm not standing alone, bro. I'm with Super Nerds. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm with Super Nerds. New Super Nerds Power. Want to activate? But you like being alone. Yeah, I like being alone. But still it's go cool. watch his stuff, please. But go watch yeah. his stuff yeah. alone. Enjoy your burrito. Later, dudes. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Rhea Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.